Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager of Krypton Radio, and my co-host is Susan L. Fox, the station's executive producer. This evening, we're honored to have with us three cast members of Star Trek Renegades. Tim Russ, who reprises his role as Tuvok and directs the feature-length pilot. Manu Interami, who reprises his role as Icheb from Star Trek Voyager. And joining us a little bit later in the show will be Adrian Wilkinson, who plays Captain Lexus Singh. I'd like to start off by welcoming you both to the show, Tim Russ and... Manu Interemi. I've been rehearsing. (laughs) I've been rehearsing your name ever since Voyager. Little Icheb is all grown up now. That's fantastic. I I love it when they pronounce my name right. It's a a real trick. I mean, you know, when I first heard your name, I just thought, okay, the guy's into somebody named Sam. (laughs) (laughs) It's a mnemonic. It's a mnemonic. It's a mnemonic. He's into Remy. Into you know, I'm into Russ. What can I say? Um, <laughs> yeah. But the uh, Star Trek Renegades brought to you by the same people who brought you Star Trek of Gods and Men. Principal photography is finished. They are in post-production and they're looking for donations to help with post-production costs, which seems like you are sparing no expense at, or at least no skill. I've seen the uh, teaser trailer and it looks better than a lot of uh, the Star Trek that's gone out under the official uh, uh, banner of the studio, i got to say. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. The cast has, has a noble Star Trek and science fiction lineage. Looking at the, uh, the cast list, we see your, your inestimable selves, of course. Um, Walter Koenig from Original Trek. Um, people from uh, everything from Xena to Dune to Alien Nation to uh, Stargate. Terminator. Terminator. Yeah, I, that name jumped out at me. Edward Furlong is in this. Right. Star Trek Renegades has one heck of a pedigree. Blade Runner. And Blade Runner. And Blade Runner. Runner. That's, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I see Blade and Runner's Pacific new stuff. And Pacific Blue. <laughs> oh, Pacific Blue. How could I forget? Pacific what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think that was sci-fi, honey. So uh, uh, let's start with uh, 
Uh, let's start with how the project came about. Um, where was the genesis of it? Well, that was uh, actually uh, Sky Conway wanted to uh, put together another uh, Trek feature, this time using uh, the Internet as a funding source. And, uh, and so he and, and, and uh, Ethan Koch, the writer, and uh, Jack Trevino put together this script and story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they sent it out to myself and a few, and uh, I, also a couple other people just to take a look at it and give some feedback here and there. They, but they basically worked on it themselves over a period of six months or so to try to, to get it together to uh, to shoot. And uh, so it came out of nowhere. I mean, it was just we just put it together. As a matter of fact, the very first one we did, Gods and Men, was the same way. It was just uh, we had no script. When he contacted me, there was no script. It mm-hmm. hadn't been written yet. So we decided to put together you know that story uh, piece by piece and then... This one was also done the same way, except it was mostly between uh, Sky, the producer, and uh, Jack Trevino and Ethan Koch. So the uh, what I find interesting is that uh, uh, you know the the line between fan film and and the real deal is is what is substantially real? blurred. I mean, it's it's this is this is not uh, this is not actually a trade. This is not actually a licensed product, is it? Uh, no, there's not licensed. As a matter of fact, you know, this is technically a pilot presentation. That's what this is. Mm-hmm. This is a demo. This is a demo is essentially what it is. It's I a see. Demo. It's a demo for a pitch. And uh, they want to approach CBS about possibly doing something online with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which would be a new thing. Yeah, because which they're, not, they're, not, uh, they're not known for working on. Yeah, but it's the wave media. of the future. They, they, they can't avoid it. It's it's unavoidable. I mean, cuz they're going to be they're already now competing with uh, Amazon, uh Netflix, Hulu mm-hmm. uh, starting up their operation. They're all going that way. So Aren't they the, to... are, they're the one studio that that doesn't at the moment, right? But it doesn't everybody else? I think the network, if you go to you can go to CBS and you can watch, you know, shows you've missed, their shows mm-hmm. that they aired. Yeah. You can yep. go back and watch, you know, streams of their shows with all the commercials and everything else. Uh, I think they can do that now, but they're not producing just specifically online material. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if the other networks are either. Not, not yet. I think the other networks are. There's, but there's, ne- there, there's official NBC uh, shows and such. Yeah, are they? Uh, they ABC sp- certainly does. Strictly, strictly, yeah, yeah. Strictly. So I think. CBS will, will jump on. Will jump online as uh, they have you know, to. Yeah, they pretty have soon. To. Well, eventually, yeah, they have to. And I'm my my concern there is that uh, you know you have to set up a whole business before you can actually adopt a product. Uh, and yeah, and well, uh, I'm 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 wondering where they stand on this and what progress they're making and where you know well, where where Star Trek Renegades might. I mean, obviously, if they're if they're going to do this, Star Trek Renegades might be one of the first things they ever touch. Well, because it's it's already a package. I mean, these yeah, guys it's already are a package. Ahead it's ready, of the yeah, you guys are ready to go. They don't have to spend any time developing it. You're uh, you're right there, and you're ready to rock. No, that's true. I mean, but 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 uh, the way this this town works is such that you know if they if they decided to take on the project, and keep in mind they own it, so they can do whatever they want. Uh-huh. Uh, they could tell us to take a flying leap, and they could produce their own series on the, on, a, on just right out of nowhere. Or if they come on board this one, they could just say, you know, we'll give the the writer creators a couple of bucks, and then we're going to do it ourselves. Goodbye, thank you very much. That's what they can do. And oh, if that's fact, kind of a scary place to be standing. 
Yes, you know, it is, you but you don't, have any, you don't have any choice because they own it. You know, whoever owns mm -hmm. the license mm -hmm. or the patent or the copyright man in this world is the one who has, you know, they're the ones that you have. They're, they're the king of the hill. So you have to, you know, if they were really, really excited about it, you know, the least they could do would be to buy it uh, from uh, the three writers, and that would be it. And, you know, they would get a piece of the, of the action in a percentage of some type they might negotiate, or they might just get a flat buyout. And then they would just take over the whole thing and do it. I find the business side of this, how all of these business deals get put together, absolutely fascinating. It's uh, this is the side of of Hollywood that people don't usually see, and and you know, it, it the perception is that they make movies and TV shows in Hollywood, and they don't. They make business deals. Oh, uh, it's all business, man. This it's is all it's, yeah. business. Deals are corporate. Everything is a corporation. And, and, all... and they're not just little corporations. No, 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 no. These are huge, sprawling corporations, and nobody knows exactly how great their assets are yeah oh, yeah. We, yeah we know it's no surprise that they're gonna that they'll that they will redo things because that's all we see now anyway we see it in the theaters and we see it on tv they'll, they'll just redo you know the stuff they already have in their library now the only trick is you know how much it costs to produce it uh where it would be shot uh and who would be in control of it if they let us do our own uh let us produce it and and shoot it and put it together they would still put in a producer on the project. They would put one of their people on the project to oversee it. And they would have a say-so in, in the scripts and what was written and how it was, how it was done. And they would probably shoot it somewhere else. It's very expensive to shoot um, sci-fi. Uh, that's, that's all there is to it. CBS doesn't generally do sci-fi. Mm -hmm. um, you know, before it was Paramount through a syndicated network. It was not, they had, you know, it was an independent network. It was nothing to do with CBS. CBS is, you know, their their target audience is uh, generally older, and they do more straight-ahead conservative-type shows. So, to do an edgy science fiction series, you know, uh, that that's they're going to be stepping out of the box for it. You know, uh, so you know, if if they do it, it's going to be something where I think they would make, make it available online mm -hmm. uh, as a regular series. Uh, people can still watch it, obviously, through their TVs. But but the cost of doing the project would have to be uh, dealt with because generally all the science fiction is shot here is shot in Canada. They can't afford to shoot it here. Yeah, it's a yeah. weekly show. No. Well, except that you have been shooting locally uh, here yeah. in Los Angeles County. I, I'm yes. not exactly sure where, and I'm yeah. yeah for the purposes of keeping your production uh, <laughs> secure, I probably shouldn't say where. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, uh, Not in my got, backyard. That's all yeah. I know. Right, but your cost, yeah, our, their cost for producing a, a, a regular show to their specs and standards would be higher budgets than what we were shooting with. And uh, what what I would the only thing I would suggest or would think that they might want to do is, with internet shows, you can produce you know like five or six or ten of these things, and then you can air them all at once, or mm -hmm. you can pull them out over a period of two or three weeks at a time. You could do whatever you want or, because you're not you're not adhering to. Uh, well, they're almost infinitely repackageable. Yeah, completely. You, you can toss them into anything in in, yeah. in, in just about any way you can imagine, That's and true. find new ways to make money out of them. Mm -hmm. But the 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 thing I was curious about was, uh, uh, you know, when you're on a regular TV show, you're working on the set at Paramount or wherever you are. Yeah. Uh, you have standing sets. You have enormous resources available to you. Right. Uh, uh, and you've got guys who do nothing but stand around all day waiting for somebody to tell them to move a light stand. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, you, for this new show, you're not 
you don't have you any don't of have those. Any of you that. don't have any of those resources. How are you pulling this off and we still actually, getting that production, getting the production values we, that we, we saw had, in the trailers? We actually had a very good team. We had a very sizable team of people working on this project. We had people building the sets. We had a, a, a you know a, a decent lighting crew. Uh, we had effects, special effects people there. We had a lot of folks involved in this thing that were. Uh, when I walked onto the soundstage uh, to shoot, it was pretty busy, you know, and it, and it was a pretty big scale project. You know, you don't necessarily need, you know, that many people to do it these days because of the technology, et cetera, et cetera. But this type of show is not like, a, you know, shooting something that's in somebody's living room or, well, or I, a car driving by or somebody walking. On yeah, it's it's not like a block comedy or something. No, it's it's really tough to do this kind of show. It's it, well, I think it, a lot of the reason that the that you guys were able to accomplish what you did is is it one it is Star Trek and there were so many people and so many talented uh, individuals from past shows and from or that uh, that have been in the business twenty years and in special effects or whatever other uh, costume design et cetera et cetera makeup. Um, actors uh, that just wanted to the first of all the the fan base demanded it and and secondly you know there was a lot of people willing to put in freebies um, yep. and put in their work and their time to to make this thing happen um, yeah exactly true that's and that's why I was saying that to actually produce this on a weekly basis you know you'd probably have to have a, a paid crew working yeah. full time because you'd have a, a, a schedule you'd have to keep to and uh, mm-hmm. at a certain standard you have to be working at. So you'd be paying people to show up. And that mm-hmm. takes your budget up two or three notches before it's all over. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a budgetary situation in shooting science fiction rather than shooting any other genre. I mean, any, any, anything that's a period piece, whether it's past or future, you've got money to deal with. You've got to build spaceships, man. Yeah, spaceships, you've got to build costumes. Every single costume, <laughs> you've got heavy makeup as well. Yeah, every And every single piece of the environment has to be built from scratch. It's not That's something true. you can go get out of a prop rental place. Exactly, unless the story allows you to do so or you can find some things laying around. you still got to pay for them. Whether you build them or rent them, You've got to you've got to come up with it. It's not something somebody can bring from their house, you know. And oh, can we use this? No, because... you haven't seen my house. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I've got a teleporter at my house. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> teleporter. Yeah. I'm not going yeah, to the... load it out to anybody. I am. I am. I am sitting here in our uh, our uh, living room, which are we're using as our recording studio, looking at the uh, the window from Captain Picard's ready room from the original set. I'm so. sitting here on the bridge of the Enterprise in a different galaxy talking to you. No, no, seriously. No, seriously. Uh, we have I'm a bit of a collector. Inter- <laughs> so, but, but that actually raises another question. Um, uh, how much of your sets, I mean, now you can, you can do uh, uh, digital set extensions and, and do entire digital set replacements well digital set replacements one of the other productions i worked on they they took sets from the game (laughs) one of the one of the star trek uh uh, computer games and green screened us all into that it was awesome yeah yeah Yeah, uh, susan yes susan has been in fan fans fans star trek productions hidden frontier the this the uh in fact we did use uh we had a construction team that built hard sets uh, we did also get a, a, a loaner set from uh, a, you know, um, a man who brought in the uh, bridge set from the Enterprise. Mr. We Huddleston. He's right. We used his set uh-huh. as for a few scenes as well. The, and the bridge, we bridge some, restoration project. Yeah, we are doing some set extensions here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but not the, but most of those are only for establishing uh, and maybe a couple of background shots. That's it. We're, most of our sets are hard sets. Well, That's... most of your sets are not on the Enterprise, obviously. So no, they're not exactly. Your other but, places uh, and the pieces that aren't we built. There are a lot of stuff was built from scratch. We built uh, <clears throat> we built chambers and corridors. We built uh, uh, we put together what a refinery set. We put together we had and rented a, a ship set that we used as well. So we have a lot of hard sets that we're using. So what's you must so where does this of, take place? Uh, the the story takes place beyond Voyager by about eleven years or so, um, and it is in Federation space, and it is also a good number of light years away from Federation space on an alien planet, um, and and where this an alien race inhabits uh, inhabits that planet called the Siphon. Mm. That's very intriguing. Oh yeah. What are they siphoning? Well, we can't tell you that until oh, you okay. get. Flame <laughs> a girl for trying. Spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's um. They're the bad guys, right? Whatever they can. Yeah, the bad guys. <laughs> there has to be. There has cash. to be an arch villain. Lots and lots of cash. Cash. Money. <laughs> lots of it. Well, money we do works. see some familiar uh, character names in this. Yes. Yeah. So so obviously Admiral Chekhov is involved. Tuvok is involved, uh, Admiral Paris and Icheb. Who, oh. el- who else from previous Star Trek, whatever characters from previous Star Treks are involved? Um, I think uh, we've got Bob Picardo playing uh, the, uh, coming in to do uh, the Doctor uh, as a holocaust. It's sort of interesting. A couple of these new characters are, I mean, these old characters are, are new characters in a way. I mean, they're updated. In a, yeah, they Bob is deaf. Bob is not the doctor you know, so he's the doctor you know. But in a in a in a in a sneaky little way, it's new and it's well because yeah. they had used that image and voice for the uh, medical emergency medical hologram. It could exactly. be on any computer, any exactly. ship. Yeah, exactly. So also, we, we have uh, we have obviously Manu. Manu's his character is different from what we knew him on on. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, he's all grown up now. Grown I mean, up, and he's got new deborgified. Yeah, that's correct. So we've done I've done a few changes here and there on the characters. My character is basically the same, except that we work within Section Thirty One of, of Starfleet. Mm. Which is, that's different. We didn't do that before. Now, Susan, you you were, can you explain what Section Thirty One is? Because oh, it's 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 the uh, Department of Dirty Tricks, the super secret <laughs> yeah. NSA, CIA, Black Ops, it's all Black about. Ops, yeah. and get moose, get squirrel. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Voyager, Voyager hadn't, hadn't been precisely involved. I'm afraid so. Oh, the penny drops. He just got it. He just got it. He just yeah, I think I, I, broke the, I broke the guest. That was way before his time, man. Uh, yeah. Manu Dalink. <laughs> That's fine. I just couldn't believe that it actually happened. <laughs> we are fans for all seasons and series. I saw the, the live action version of that uh, with the. Uh... <laughs> oh, yes, I, I saw that too, and the animation was jaw droppingly bad. I mean, the rest of the story was kind of okay, but the animation of the of the cartoon characters. Was so poor. I mean, and especially and they're considering... capable of so much better. That's the oh problem. yes, 
Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, high school kids can do better animation than that. You did do better than that when you were in high school, did you? As a matter of fact, I Scratching did. the emulsion for Ray yeah, Guts. I did a, I did did a, I did a Star Trek uh, fan film myself. I had a piece of the original bridge set, and I built my own bridge extensions in, in, in the garage, and we shot it, and, and uh, we had laser bolts. It was shot in 8mm film, and I hand-animated the laser bolts by scratching and the And it still looked better than Rocky and... Bullwinkle. Where where can we see it? <laughs> it's, no, I think uh, it is mercifully lost. I know. I, st- oh, I still, still have it? actually have it. It's I have in a, a film can. Dude, I have uh, a projector. Put it, put it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's web that. Yeah, I, yeah. I need to get this thing transferred and uh, we can and, arrange and re- that. I, I, I think the soundtrack might be lost, but well, it's, we can redo that. Essentially, a silent film anyway. Well, yeah, but, you uh, might have one of the original fan films ever, if it's that old, then. Yeah, you know. it was uh, that 1974. Could, that could be 1974? Yeah. You you might have claim to the first fan film. I don't know. Um, I, my God, I didn't realize that. I wasn't that's, born, but that's enti- I don't want to hear entirely, that. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. That's entirely possible. So uh, you have, uh, let's see, we've got... Uh, Hand over the, the yeah. I've, she's cast just handed list. me the. So Grant Imahara is involved in this as well. He is myth a myth-busting fanboy, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He so a, he came in and did a good job. He looked. It was a. It was an interesting choice to have him come in and do that role. Uh, and m- the majority of the roles in this piece were selected by uh, Sky, the producer. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it was almost the same way on Gods and Men. Um, you know, he's, uh, I want to say hands-on, quote-unquote, as far as casting. There mm-hmm. were some people that I had questioned and the people that I also wanted to have uh, in it myself, but, you know, those guys were the ones that were running roughshod pretty much over the casting process. So, uh, and we are, in, and, we are and, and that includes the shooting, and it also includes the editing and post. To let you know that I had some very good people working with me, uh, and I want everybody to know that uh, a lot of this, uh, besides the people who worked and volunteered their time and worked tirelessly for for three to four weeks, um, building the sets, uh, pitching in on uh, construction, pitching in on the other areas uh, in the the production when we shot. Um, uh, Mark Lynn came down out of uh, South Dakota, who's uh, worked with Tristan Bernard, my DP. Mm -hmm. Both of them were instrumental in getting... Uh, the script uh, tailored, trimmed, cut, tightened, uh, corrected, et cetera, et cetera, during the shooting process. And Tristan Bernard is a very excellent DP and came up with some really beautiful shots here and there. We got some really nice stuff and great lighting. So a great deal of this uh, image that you see in the trailer, et cetera, there was a lot of people that went into uh, making that thing happen. For those of you yeah. for those of you just tuning in, we are talking to Tim Russ and uh, Manu... Interamy. Interamy. <sighs> You got to rehearse that, I honey. know I do. I, <laughs> Talk to the and we're talking to them about uh, Star Trek Renegades. Uh, mm-hmm. Tim, you uh, at what point did you figure out that you were going to be directing this thing? Uh, it was I was just contacted by Sky and uh, out of the blue, and both those projects. So were they the want they wanted you as director from the from the get go. Yeah, but you know, it, it, in part because I worked with them on uh, Gods and Men, but also you know I was I'm gonna a character was in this piece as well. Mm-hmm throughout so um since we did it the first time on gods and men you figured why not do it again since it's still trek and mm-hmm. uh, and i and, and so he asked me to we, we talked about directing this as well i mean he's done two he's do he's done one other project with walter and he's done he's doing another one now 
that uh, I will not be directing for him. But uh, the ones for the Trek thus far, you know, he said, come on board, because I've worked in the genre for that long a time. And you were going to be there anyway, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when, when you walked onto the set, uh, you walk onto the set for the first time, you see everything for the first time. Uh, did it hit you right then that this was Star Trek and that it was, it was, I mean, was it like a, what was it? It was. It was. It, it would was, hit you that way. I don't know if it would it hit, hit him that way. What hit me was the size and the scope of this uh, production. There was so many. Like I said, there were so many people running around. We were on two very large sound stages, and uh, it was it was busy. Um, a lot of folks running around doing all kinds of things uh, in terms of the production. I was impressed with the size and scope of it. I mean, I've worked on a couple of indie films since that time that had no more than maybe four, five, six people on it, and that was it. You know, uh, and they shot and got it done. But this was really enormous, uh, the scale of this thing. Manu, yeah. Manu, how about you? What was your impression? Yeah, when I when I walked in the first day, you know, I'd I'd been told we we postponed shooting uh, a couple of times, I think, at least once, and um, because they were for a number of different reasons. But so I was excited and, and wondering what the sets were going to look like when I got there, um, you know, how Star Trek it was going to be. And when I first showed up that first day, I mean, they had built spaceships and alien corridors and big green screens and everything that is Star Trek. So it was pretty neat to, and the makeup uh, team was uh, great too. That's some heavy duty looking uh, aliens in this film. The, the siphon are pretty wild looking creatures. Um, and uh, yeah, I was definitely impressed. Um, and I think we've all done our job, and I think now it's up to uh, a good, good editing and good sound design, and and they, I hope that they take the time to to really get the the CG going really, really well too. And I think we'll have a a, a really interesting, kick-ass uh, piece of Star Trek to watch. So, principal shooting is now done. Uh, yeah, yeah principal photography is finished. Yeah, we're 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 right now in the middle of the editing process. And you're still deeply involved in in that process as deeply as I can as I can get myself into. It's it's uh, um, you know initially we had uh, uh, Sky had his own editor working on that, um, and uh, I was not so much in the loop. And now it's mm-hmm. it's it's in the hands of my DP and also Mark Lynn, who was uh, I want to say supervising producer, script consultant. He both of them are now cutting the project. And it's it's now it's coming together. Now it's on the move, and uh, they're already through uh, up to roughly fifteen scenes or so in the piece, and they're moving on. And it's it, the stuff I've seen so far looks absolutely amazing. Have you seen any uh, any effects work at all yet? No effects work. We won't have that for a while because all the stuff's got to be rendered. The models have to be done, rendered, uh, put together. Then they have to be cut into the film. We have to lock the film down before we can put any effects in it. Right. You have to you have to get a lock on the edit. Yeah, you know, exactly. to, get, to get the timing down, so you've exactly. got uh, yeah. you've got uh, uh, the real sta- before you put in the unreal. Yeah, stand in stand in footage and proxies and totally. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, it'll, you can slot. I mean, you can cut other scenes and change them. You know, that are not that have no effects in them. Mm-hmm. But quite honestly, uh, many of our scenes have some type of effect in them. Mm-hmm. Quite a few of them, actually. So we understand you're looking for donations to help with post production costs. Where well, can we help? Well, that's going to be, I think, through the Star Trek uh, Renegades website. 
www.startrekrenegades.com, and I think that's gonna that'll lead you to the uh, to the page because I think they're still using Kickstarter to raise money. Um, oh, okay. And or Indiegogo, it's either one of the two. So yeah, Indiegogo. Uh, yeah, Indiegogo has been very. I it, it's we've so... used Indiegogo because even if you don't meet your quota, you still get something out of it. Yeah, I don't do... think this is going to be a problem for you guys somehow. No, no, we'll get it. <laughs> we'll get it done. And, and the same way we got Gods and Men done. It may take a little longer, you know, uh, depending on how much money we get, etc. And those mm-hmm. guys work full time. Everybody, like like Manu said, a lot of people work full time on their own jobs, and they pitched in on this thing. So whether it was pre production, production, or post production, somewhere in there, we've got people volunteering their time in in any one of those uh, uh, areas of time. So. And now we're in post, so there's people dedicated to uh, helping us out, and you know they can get to it when they get to it. And it takes a little longer, but that's okay. You know, and, and so many of them. <laughs> What's that? So many of of uh, so many of them just want to be part of Star Trek. They just yeah. want to be part of the legacy. It's absolutely true. Because they've yeah. been watching it all their lives. Uh, that is absolutely true. That's why we were able to raise enough money. You know, it's a double-edged mm-hmm. sword. If, if you want to do an independent project that nobody's ever heard of on Indiegogo, you're not going to get that kind of bread nine times out of ten. Unless you have a superstar in there as one of your actors, you might get it then. But otherwise, oh. you, you won't be able to raise the money, but you would own the project if you mm-hmm. could get it done. There's this, a lot to be said for that. Yeah, However, there is a lot to be said for that. <laughs> you have a secret weapon. Yeah, this project we don't own, but we're able to raise money for it. I mean, so you're just like, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, that's the way the world turns, you know. Well, I think like that's what I was saying in the beginning. You know, the the CBS. I think there's room for a television show. I think there's room for more films, and there's room for an internet show, and there's room for all of it. The fan base wants it, obviously, because they 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 coughed up the money. Obviously, they do. I think I think they might be looking for a lens for a lens flare free zone too. Stop! Stop! No dissing the the other production. I love the lens flares. And I gotta go with yes, and I have to agree with Manu. Uh, I like the lens flares. Me too, JJ. Awesome. Those films are awesome. Well, you know, it flare is the one of the best parts of actually seriously. (laughs) Actually, seriously. Have an elderly uh, Star Trek uh, sitcom. You got to have a lens flare in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Babylon Five animated in the lens flare. Okay, I found that very entertaining. And if you don't have one, if you don't shoot it, then you got to put it in in post. At least put. Yeah, it's funny, that but you're right Pe- because people don't. Uh, you, to a certain degree, you're right because people don't accept it as a you are there uh, bit of uh, photography unless there are lens artifacts. Because the, uh, well, because we're used least, to seeing them. You know, depending upon what they yeah. are and where yeah, they depending are, on the, yeah. they are tremendously. <laughs> it just I gives have, a little bit more edge I'm, to the piece. That's I'm all. sorry, I, mean, I just there, derailed the conversation with the lens the moon landing. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh uh let's talk about uh let's talk about Adrian Wilkinson who's going to be on the next segment here yeah. in a few minutes. Uh her role is Lexa Singh. What is, right. what and who is Lexa Singh? Uh Lexa Singh is is the captain of of the Icarus, which is the it's the Renegade's ship. And she is uh initially in the story, she is imprisoned. Um, and that is where she's found, and she's uh, recruited to join the uh, the crew of the Renegades, and it is a former crew of hers. So she's a pretty tough lady, you know. Unlike uh, 
you know, the captains we've seen in the Star Trek series prior, if you mess up on, on her ship, you might end up in the airlock, you know, not the brig. So that's the way Lexa is. She's a very tough, physically stronger than the average human, and she's determined and no nonsense. That's Lexa. So is she related to Khan Noonien Singh or just a very tough... She uh, is a descendant. Okay, thought so. So Mm -hmm. she's inherited some of that genetic, that illegal genetic engineering. That is correct, yes, and she uses it in the movie. And attitude. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally and completely, yes. And fake chest. (laughs) No, it's all real, isn't it? (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Well, yeah, you could find yourself in the airlock, Bubba. Oh, yeah. uh, well, it's it's a there's a grand tradition, you know. I mean, uh, for uh, uh, in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, uh, they actually digitally accentuated Kira Knightley's chest. They didn't need to. Oh, the fake. They had corsetry. They did. Damn it. Yeah. yeah, they but they did. That's what I feel so sorry for the original con because, man, the fake muscles and the fake boobs these days, actors don't even need to get ripped or work out anymore. They just draw it on. They just draw it on. Well, in the original uh, episode, he was a he was a very attractive man. He was he was a Hollywood hunk back then. And they didn't need to take his clothes off to make him attractive. He looked good in 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 the, you know, Wrath of Khan as well. He looked good. Yeah, he did. He was he was he had worked out. He got gotten by. Yeah. Did you did you have to do special preparations to get ready for this role? Did, uh, myself, you, no, no. Apart from latex, I mean. Apart yeah. from apart from just the makeup and things like that, and uh, you know, and keep in mind, you know, I'm hoping at the end of the day, I just want to put a button on this. I'm gonna have to run out of here and pick up my All daughter, right. but okay. At the end of the day, <laughs> you know, the uh, uh, we Amanu came on, came on, and as an actor, I'm coming on as a director and actor in this thing, and that was our role in this, um, the actual story and uh, how the story is put together, um, uh, how it's written, and how it's put together, and, what it, and, and all the content of that is primarily uh, the responsibility of uh, the producer, Sky Conway, uh, Ethan Cock, and Jack Trevino. So if the fans like it or don't mm-hmm. like it, uh, that they, get, they get the glory or get the one way or the other. If you, yeah, like, right it, if you like, like it, tell that. us. If you don't like it, tell them. I don't have, yeah. I have hardly any opportunity or chance to put any input into that part of this thing I, I i put it on the camera that's that's where my input is is on camera as far as the look and style and feel of this along with uh my dp or uh, tristan bernard so we came in and did our job and that's it uh that i just want everybody to know that i'm hoping that the fans react positively to it but um the the story responsibility is not is out of my hands I'm well maybe the next episode maybe we'll It'll see be tuvok trek <laughs> I've well, there, there's so much opportunity for this story to go so many different places and, and hope, you know, yeah, that's what I did, too. I mean, I, I came in and I acted and, and I walked out. But um, I think everybody did their jobs really well and hopefully everybody else does, too. And, and we'll have a good show. I think nice to fun. see you, Tim. Nice to see you, Mono. And you've seen the trailer so far. It looks great, man. Yes, yeah, we it do. Cool. It does. It really does look good. And Check you'll see it. Some, uh, when... Accent's yeah. a bit thick. Yeah. I had to listen to it a couple of times to quite. Which is actually kind of cool, you know. I he's like Chekhov's accent. Chekhov. It's still, and, and it's still, still him. It's like, still wait him. a minute, we know that voice. Manu's got some great footage in it. There's some good scenes, and uh, I can't wait to get to cutting all that stuff when we get to those sequences to cutting together. So far, we've got some good stuff. It looks great. So, 
In a moment, we're going to be talking to Adrian. Guys, thank you so much for stopping by. It was great to have you on the show. And uh, uh, it's it's just been a slice. We're just so looking forward to seeing the finished product. You got it. Appreciate it. Rock rock and roll. I'm going to hang around, so you just patch Adrian Oh, okay. Hey, all you steamers. Krypton Radio is giving away a copy of The Steampunk Adventurer's Guide, a new book by gentleman genius and steampunk prop master Thomas Wilford with illustrations by girl genius inimitable Phil Folio. It's an interactive steampunk tale which combines storytelling with steampunk crafting. Follow the story of Isaac and Amelia Griffith's daring rescue of their uncle from the airship of a despicable villain and his army of automata while learning to build your own decoder arm guard glider wings, rocket pack, and more. Best part is, the story and crafts are appropriate for all ages, so you can share the fun with the whole family. Enter now to win your own copy of The Steambunk Adventurer's Guide by clicking the button on our homepage at kryptonradio.com. For a second chance to win, tune in to The Event Horizon on Saturday, January 18th at 9 p.m. Pacific or Sunday, January 19th at 4 p.m. Pacific for our interview with author Thomas Wilford. Krypton Radio, it's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. And now we are back on the event horizon with Manu Interemi and Adrian Wilkinson, uh, who plays Lexa Singh in Star Trek... Renegades. Renegades. All right. I think that's the best we're going to get out of this one. Oh, my God. We are so looking forward to this show. You should see what's on the cutting room floor at this point. (laughs) It it isn't a pretty floor. Yeah, this is a... This uh, is going to be a pretty show, she said, making a segue of the day. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Adrian. Uh, thank you guys for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, and we're uh, uh, we've already been talking with uh, Manu and Tim about the show, and uh, uh, you know discussing uh, some of the you know what it was like to be on the set uh, for Star Trek, uh, you know for for Star Trek Renegades and and uh, your first impression as you as their your first impressions as you walked onto the set what was what was your first impression like when you walked onto the set for the first time oh um uh, i well i had a couple of impressions but i think the the immediate impression was just uh being very impressed more impressed than i was even anticipating with all of the sets that they were in the process of building uh as of day one a couple of them were finished but most of them were still in process um but knowing that we were working on a low budget project, I had sort of feared that it would be entirely green screen or uh, certainly something close to it or something, um, you know, where we're sort of sitting in a chair uh, on top of a cardboard box. And I was really uh, incredibly pleased to see the the detail that they had gone to and just the, the quality of the, of the sets that I was able to see on day one. Yeah, we actually had four cardboard boxes and two chairs. <laughs> and this is, you know, and the, the for the listening audience, this is not an uncommon thing at all. Even some of the most, even some of the bigger, uh, bigger productions, you go in there and it's it's green screen, and you're sitting on, uh, sitting on boxes with green screen fabric on them, and you're talking to somebody who is there, a represented ball. by a tennis ball on a stick, mm-hmm. and and. and Green screen also can be really, really 
bad. It can also be really, really, really good. But usually on an on an indie project, if you think you're if you're going to do a a full green screen movie, you know it's going to be bad. And so oh, it's it, like, it, I was it, work. I worked on one once, and we were uh, outside with the green screen, and then this butterfly comes flapping through the Starship bridge. <laughs> Thank you, uh, uh, yeah. Yeoman Butterfly, for that uh, red alert. No. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> well, and then you have films like, uh, uh, the, well, The Hobbit. There's the, well, The Hobbit and and uh, the, uh, the Star. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, but the thing is, you know, you have these wonderful actors who are very long-term veterans of show business. who are very disappointed that. Yeah, they have Mark... to be in the you know green screen and not out there mucking about with the. Yep, and the yeah. last Star Wars movie was all you know. You had a few visual elements, and the rest was all uh, CGI. Inser- yeah, all of it was CGI. I think I think um, JJ is going to come along and remedy that. I really hope so. I mean, it's it's. Uh... Uh, Certainly, uh, the people in the sets and you know, the set building business are are gonna love yeah, that. I understand yeah. they built a full scale interior and exterior replica of the Millennium Falcon. Awesome! They rebuilt the whole ship and they built the entire inside as well, so you could actually go up inside the ship and you're there inside the Millennium Falcon, and the set's perfect. And it's not CG. Kick. But that's how they should do it. I am a huge fan of keeping everything in front of camera that's real, practical effects. Forget all that CG nonsense. Well, maybe not all of it. Well, it's yeah, it's it's pretty hard when you have to deal with something like Species Eight Four Two Seven. You know, I mean, it's you're not putting a guy in a suit for that. No, I'm just saying that that practical effects usually look better than. The, the, marrying CG and practical effects uh-huh. is a really hard thing to do, and a, a lot of times people have the, the modern movie making has fallen so in love with CG that it's the answer for everything. And you'll go see a movie like Thor, and it, the whole thing just looks like a video game, and it doesn't look real to me. It's, you, you immediately see computer. Oh, there's a big computer background. Oh, there's a bunch of computer skies and. Uh, I think always... once they're used to it, they'll they'll settle down. They're still, you know, looking for the limits and it's it's playing like, with the new toys. It's like not like Technicolor where every 70s. well, oh, I was thinking of you know the Technicolor. Everything was bright, so so very bright. <laughs> or even now that there's yeah. such a, a fixation with 3D, I think that I personally think 3D should be used sparingly. And when it works well, it's incredible. But I think a lot of times there's a, an immense amount of work that goes into making a 3D movie when it doesn't per- particularly serve any purpose for it to be 3D. Oh, I absolutely agree yeah. with you. Well, there. what happens is uh, they they produce the shows in 2D and then they go and uh, there's a, there are production houses where their entire raison d'etre is to take a 2D movie and make it 3D. And there's just no reason. And there's it's just like, yeah. what? Uh, a recent one that that really needed to be three D was Frozen. That made a lot of sense. And they designed it to be three D in the first place. And well, the, oh my yeah. god, it worked. Yeah. Oh, it worked much, so much well. Much prefer to see the ones that are designed to be in three D than the ones that they just jerry rig and make into three D. I did a film called Fortress, this World War Two film, and it didn't get a theatrical re- release anywhere but Germany. 
But Germany, <laughs> Germany went all out and made it into a 3D film too. And I was just, I watched it and I was like, wow, that's a lot of money to uh, for, for a single for a, a single a country release. Yeah, and, it's, it's and, amazing. Yeah, and it was you know it was neat, but it wasn't that neat. <laughs> right. So Adrian, uh, you uh, you were on um, Zena. Yeah, you were on Zena. And, yeah, and, and it was <laughs> well. We're just kind of going through the cast list and seeing all the veterans of of imagination fiction on here, the sci fi and fantasy things. Mm. And you're top of the list. Yeah, and uh, and your ex, your experience with that must have been very different. I mean, that was not in those days. CG was still sort of. I mean, they were they were doing it, but it wasn't an everyday thing. It was it was an you know, we need it for this one scene or something. What sure. Was... Um, I mean, well, it was interesting that you brought up Thor because I actually did see Thor and um, the opening battle sequences. I was sitting in the theater and all I could think was how much better the Xena fight sequences looked. Yeah. Which, yeah. 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 I mean, obviously I guess I'm a little biased, but, but I'm not someone who's particularly into action scenes. And I think a lot of it does have to do with the practicality. Um, there was, of course, some CGI that we used um, in special effects when there were mm-hmm. uh, sort of supernatural elements in the show. But for the majority of, of everything, it was all practical. We shot outdoors in these utterly amazing locations. We had handmade costumes that were just incredible and you know, just really used everything that was at our disposal. And it created this real magic. And the... The fights in particular, I mean, by that point, you know, they had gone through the series Hercules, and then this was towards the end of the, the mm-hmm. Xena series. So all of the extras and all of the the stunt artists, you know, they had had years to, to perfect their craft. And by the time I came along, I mean, it was a well-oiled machine that was just amazing. The first scene that I ever shot on the on the show, it was supposed to be me viewing a village that we had just pillaged. And I mean, it was amazing. It was the end of a battle, and there were probably a hundred uh, extras or uh, stunties that were a part of it. And it was just kind of overwhelming. And it just—I will say—it just did amaze me that with the budget that Thor had, there wasn't an enormous difference in the quality that they could get versus the quality that was on Xena. Yeah, they're just—it's—it's it's the CG addiction. Right. Right. I agree. Yeah. Well, it's it's um... but you know sometimes they do it well because that the same franchise the same people marvel studios they they made the 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 other film with all of the superheroes the the avengers and the the mix between cg and practical effects in that film was gorgeous just beautiful so mm-hmm. you, you never know um i just think they overdo it quite a bit I, and there I, is something to be the, said for a, a whole village full of a hundred hundred extras and makeup and swords and, and, and there is yeah. and and you can spend your money there or you can spend it on CG. It's the thing yeah. is, the thing is that uh, uh, computer animation is not cheaper than real life. It isn't. Uh, it, you the the time you know. You, yeah, I yeah. worked at Rhythm and Hughes for ten years, yeah. mm. so. Um, so I got to see all of this stuff going by, and and uh, I would say that I would say that uh, two thirds of the time, uh, when an audience sees computer animation on the screen, they're not aware of it, and the reason they're not aware of it is because it's for things like scene extensions. Uh, they need a uh, they like the facade of a building, but it needs to be ten stories taller. Well, 
they add that in and they add it in, and it's it's because it's an extension and it's not central to the action and it's not moving people don't recognize the fact that it is computer animation Right. Computer graphics. Oh, you mean Al- Alvin and the Chipmunks aren't real? I'm crushed. <laughs> Please. I'm actually fascinated with some of the the more deceptive things, the smaller things. Like the last couple of years, I've been really fascinated with um, what they're able to do with digital makeup, where they're oh, yeah. you know, making women more beautiful mm-hmm. or, well, women or men for that matter, like, you know, spending the money to erase people's wrinkles and, mm-hmm. and things like that on screen, which I'm really fascinated by that that that's I considered talk. expensive enough that you want to get rid of it. Or if you yeah. can't get an actor for a part, you know, an actor dies, an actor is transformed. I'm thinking um, Captain America, they they put Chris Evans' face onto the little skinny guy before mm. he transforms into the superhero. Sure. They, they did a very good job of that, I thought. Mm-hmm. That was pretty amazing stuff. And it, it, the the whole technology of face tracking that, I thought, think i think that started with james cameron's avatar uh 2008 in production 2008 released in 2009 see they made the smurfs look so much hunkier in that (laughs) (laughs) so adrian what are you what are you uh uh tell us about your role well, and, actually, and, you know what? I'm sorry. Can I can I just say one? Oh thing? yeah, sure. I'm trying to steer back toward the project, it's, honestly. Yeah, but as far as the CG stuff goes, I met a CG artist once. It was pretty funny because I, t- I I wanted him to tell me a story, and I go, "Well, tell me what it's been like, you know, doing this for the last 15 years." And he goes, "I got in the into this business to make monsters, and for the last like four and a half years, he'd been erasing the acne scars off of." Lawrence Fishburne's face for the <sighs> and so yep. he, was, he was so depressed he's like I came here to do monsters and battles and explosions and spaceships and I'm erasing zits oh, <laughs> yeah could be worse could be porn yeah <sighs> yeah think of where you have to erase acne scars and in, in the naughty well, films no, I've, I've, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got one for you which I can I can tell you later but uh uh, I'm at the moment. I'm interested in in. Uh... Yeah, and back get... to the present yeah, project, the, Star Trek the... Renegades. Want... Yeah, let's talk about Star Trek. <laughs> uh, Adrian, what? Tell us about your character and, and uh, who she is, and and how she finds herself in this situation. And whose butt she's had to kick to get there. Uh, Lexa is fierce. She's a take no prisoners kind of uh, leader. She. Uh... She's, I think she's really smart. She's also manipulative. She is very skilled, but she's also got quite a, a hot temper. And she's surrounded with by a crew that uh, challenges her on every level, uh, every day, I think. Um, is, that, the, is that why she ends, is that why she starts out in prison in the opening scene? It's because she's uh, got this hot temper? Uh, I'm sure that that probably has part to do with it, but there are some mysteries that uh, have yet to be solved. The the this big project that we've done, this sort of feature length pilot, uh, it tells a lot of the story, but certainly not everything. So there's mysteries that mm-hmm. I'm not even quite aware of that they haven't completely revealed to uh, to all of the cast, and that's uh, certainly myself included. 
Uh, it was, that was pretty fun as a cast because all of us were running around wondering a, a lot about where the story is going, what the history of all our characters are, and none of us knew. So we, you know, we're, we're all kind of making it up on the spot, but it may not be at all what happens down the road if the this should go any farther. Well, but I'm sure Tim was uh, Tim was shaping your performances because he knew. No, he didn't. No, he, <laughs> he doesn't. Didn't. No, he, he made a very big point that he's not the writer. Oh, that's right. He didn't write yeah. this thing, so he didn't no. didn't really have a good handle on it either. No, but, some, but somebody did. must know. I'm hoping well, but somebody knows. I think knows. it's also, I think everyone focused on exactly the information that we needed for mm-hmm. this particular project. And while we would all love to have had, you know, all of the the complete backstories and all of the history, and for that matter, to know where we were going in the future... I am confident that that uh, we had all of the information we needed to make something mm-hmm. really solid for the story that we were telling. From the trailers uh, that we saw, uh, I would I, as far as I can tell, I agree with you. I think yeah, I'd be camping bent. out, you know, at the theater like every other Star <laughs> Trek film we've ever ever waited for. Yeah, oh, I I'm, appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm crossing my fingers too. I hope it's I hope it turns out really neat. And I hope that speaking of CG, I hope the CG guys make it make do their job. Oh, they'll they're going to be fine. They're going to be great. I mean, the, the... you did want four legs, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, um... I already have. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to know about this. this. Is not that kind of internet show. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I held myself up. So, uh, so, Adrian, were you uh, were you a Star Trek fan before this, or or is this a new walking into this world as a new thing for you? Uh, I feel like I break hearts every time I have to admit this, but this is an entirely new thing for me. Uh, I'm certainly I'm you certainly liar. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, she, she was, you were on you were on Xena for for years, and and so you're not a stranger to science to science fiction and fantasy and and all of this, but Star Trek that- is. Never were and worlds that never were. So we're gonna we're giving you some points there. <laughs> ah, you do you have geek cred. You do. You do have geek cred. Well, she loves no, it. I just not Star Trek. And I certainly had a love of the characters, <laughs> even though I had never really uh, partaken of much of the series. Mm-hmm. I had certainly seen a couple of the movies, and as a pop uh-huh. culture reference, I was certainly aware of it. And just also in my personal life, from uh, you know, from being in the world of sci-fi genre projects uh i happen to have met along the way a lot of actors that were involved in star trek and you know like a couple of years ago um william shatner actually did a documentary about xena that it hasn't come out yet but i'm told it's supposed to come out shortly so anyway i had all of these sort of touchstones but the truth is it's kind of overwhelming um this is a true story i have a friend of mine that decided you know this star trek thing seems interesting so i want to get into it but you know what? I'm going to do it right. So I'm going to start from the beginning. And I'm going to watch everything all the way through. And he watched all of the series and all of the films. And seven years later, yeah. he was finished. <laughs> oh, my yeah, that's, God. That's, that's, that's worse than sitting down with a whole season of television now, you know. Right? You know, no, ooh, I want to watch Sherlock. Well, pff, you know, that's not nearly as much of an investment, is it? Yeah, but you, you want to watch every episode of Lost, you're going to be parked on the couch for quite a while. Not as long as Star Trek, Bubba. Yeah, I think, I six, per, personally, six, personally, I think the reason the show was called Lost is because the screenwriters were. I think they didn't and, know where they were going. <laughs> I had, well, it's I, they had no that, idea. 
the the writers of that show, the true story behind it is that they never expected it to go past a year. So the first season was brilliant, but they had only ever initially planned for one season because they didn't expect to be picked up. So I think all of their success took them by surprise as much as everyone else. So yeah. they were figuring well, it, it out. Shows. It showed. <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, I hate to well, say it. Well, they did but, wrap up finally. I was, yeah, they did. I was, I was happy they, with they, the ending. They, yeah, they found a way to end it, which was, I mean, just the fact that they found a way to end it at all is, uh, uh, you know, hats a bloody off miracle. to them. Yeah, yeah. bloody miracle <laughs> that there was a way to stitch all that together. Uh, so what other what other fantasy projects have you worked on, Adrian? What have you, uh, well, what have you done? I've done uh, about five different projects uh, for Star Wars. Um, the biggest being The Force Unleashed. I played Maris Brood, who is the female Jedi. Uh, she's one of the only sur- survivors after all of the Jedi were killed. Um, I have that game. I have heard your voice in the game, and I did not oh, know. I awesome. did not know it was you. She awesome? I am, yeah, the, I the five characters you. in that game, uh, we were all uh, motion capture and uh, as well as the voice work. So it was a pretty complicated process. We worked on that game for several years and, and, uh, we filmed it kind of like a movie. And then we, we filmed it at the Presidio, uh, mm-hmm. at LucasArts. And it was a marriage of about five different technologies to get that project finished. And, and yeah, it was a great, uh, great entrance into that world. And then I've done several other video games with them. And, uh, I was part of the Clone Wars, um, uh, I played daughter who is represents the light side of the force. So I've been, you know, sort of on both sides. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's been kind of fun. Well, that's... Did you get, uh, did you bang down any doors to get an audition for the new, new star Wars? Oh man, I want that so bad. I can barely stand it. But the, the good news, uh, the new show is called rebels. And, uh, I would think at this point, they certainly know that I'm interested uh, but the nice thing is that the time frame is actually during the time of Maris Brood, and she's a character mm. that they have wanted to explore more. So I'm really hoping that they find a way to to bring her into the show. Yeah, cross oh, your yeah. fingers. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm just uh, literally at my agent's watoose to try to get in there. Right? But, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> That'd be so cool. Just to, just to even audition would be, uh, you know, I'd be... That, that would be enough. If it didn't happen, it didn't happen. Yeah. The tricky thing that I'll tell you is that it might come up that you audition for it and don't know it because they're not going to tell you that that's what you're auditioning for. So, yeah. So. That, I, that, these days and all I've that. I've heard that that does happen. Oh, oh, it does. It's so weird. So Monica, well, look what for, about, look what for about, unusual titles like Blue Harvest, you know? Yeah, weird, weird <laughs> stuff that, that makes the well-known, no sense. Uh, you know, cover title for a lot of the, uh, the location shoots so people didn't know they were shooting Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Mono, Mono, you've got a Star Trek pedigree. You were on uh, Star Trek Voyager as uh, Ichim. Mm-hmm. Yes, for yeah. uh, the last la- uh, recurring character for the last couple of years of Voyager. What did you had you done anything before that with uh, science fiction or fantasy projects? And what have you done since? Uh, science fiction and fantasy. I think Star War- Star Trek is the only really science fiction thing that I've ever done. Um. There's been a lot of projects since, but none of them have been science fiction or fantasy. Uh, which, which ones have which ones have uh, which ones strike you as being some of the best ones? Oh, what do you mean since Star since, Trek? since Star Trek? What have you uh, done that you're proud of? 
Well, you know, recently there's a lot of cool stuff coming up. Um, I have to actually pull up my IMDb here because I'm a little <laughs> out of my mind. <laughs> um, I'm glad it's just not. I'm glad it's not. Well, just actually, me. you I'm know, just... truthfully, I have a lot of things coming out. So, I, well, yeah. It, well, you're busy. If you're a busy yeah. actor, then you, it's hard to keep track of what all you've done. You we yeah. were on 90210, weren't you? Well, no, I was on One Tree Hill, which One is Tree basically, Hill. basically the same thing. Basically, um, okay. <laughs> the eternal but, teenager, huh? Yeah, yeah. I was on One. Uh, I played a bad villain on the final season of One Tree Hill, and, and that DVD just came out. It was season nine, and uh, I ha- oh, I have a sci-fi film coming out <laughs> called Unbelievable next year. It's <laughs> so funny that I forgot that. Awesome. Unbe- <laughs> well, we haven't seen it what's, yet. That's what's, why. What yeah. uh, What role do you play in that one? I play this character named Durwood, and Unbelievable is kind of fun because it's like 25 or, or 30. I don't know how many they have now, but they've hired all these ex-Star Trek actors from all the series and the shows, and including you know Nichelle Nichols, and I think even Shatner's going to do the voiceover of this character. That It's basically this huge farce like The Naked Gun, <laughs> but, but about... <clears throat> plants that are coming down to earth and changing everybody into plants so oh, it's like like, um, it's like 30 star trek actors all taking the, the piss out of our out of ourselves dave um are you talking yeah, like, day of the triffids are you talking yeah, uh, day of the triffids um, or invasion of the body snatchers that was the one or, invasion of the body snatchers you know, where everybody ends up in greenhouses and seed pods and yeah but and even cornier people. even cornier than cornier that. Cornier yeah. than plant people. This Wait. is on purpose. What Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> is playing the the giant evil plant beast. Uh, it's going to be pretty funny. I mean, it's going to be super corny, but really funny. And I, I just think it was great that the director decided to go get all Star Trek people for it, so we can all make fun of ourselves. It's really, a, it's really a community, isn't it? I mean, once you're once you are part yeah. of this, once you're part of the club, you know, once you're part of the Star Trek community, you're you're in for life. You know, and the and the fans are fans all know who you are. And they're if, willing to love you, you know? Yeah. Just they like it's them. like being an alcoholic. It kind of well. is. <laughs> I don't know, do you ever recover? <laughs> so <laughs> what what new things are you working on, Adrian? What are you what's what's coming up on your horizon? Uh I did a fun uh movie just before Christmas called Burning Dog, which is it's a kind of a heist film uh it stars greg grunberg and uh salvatore yerb i hope i'm saying his last name correctly um but it's one of those films where it's i'm pretty much the only chick in the film but i'm surrounded by all of these amazing character actors and it's it's quite funny um it's also uh ever so slightly racy i'm the girlfriend of one of the leads but i make my living as a one of those at-home sex chat chicks. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh-huh. So, so every time uh, my home is kind of home base in this movie, and every time they show up, I answer the door in a different, absurd, ridiculous outfit, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you'll see me dressed as a teddy bear. and I mean, it's... it's <gasps> teddy bear! I have to call you off. To, no, no. It's like... <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm better. You've got to think for teddy bears. Right. I'm not sure what I just discovered there, but. Kidding. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but anyway, that was fun. I'm really looking forward to that. They're telling me that that, that it will be finished in uh, March, so hopefully in festivals and on its way soon after that. Um, and this week, I just finished. Uh, I just worked on a brand new sitcom uh, called Braddock and Jackson with uh, Kelsey Grammer and Martin Lawrence. And it was hilarious. I mean, there's such a kind of odd couple pairing that it works beautifully. I mean, it just, you know, everything between them is naturally so kind of strange. That's not uh-huh. a combination I'd have I'd have thought of. Right. And yet, yeah. and yet, and yet, and yet, you see it, you why know, it would work. Yeah, yeah. they're funny. both both pros in the, the area of comedy, so that could work. Right. Right. Yeah, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, with the entire thing, the the concept is really funny, but also just the two of them working together, it was really seamless. So, so that was a pleasant surprise. So, did you and uh, did you and Manu have any scenes together in uh, Star uh, Trek Renegades? Uh, we did. We absolutely did. Thank God we did because I think uh, Manu saved me several times. Uh, I have to say, like the the thing that I personally, as an actress, what I find the most difficult is interacting with things that aren't there. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, thank God, because just when I was about to freak out and be like, I have no idea what I was doing, I would turn to him and be like, yo, give me some pointers. And he would he would demonstrate something and give me just enough inspiration that I would feel like I had something to cling on to and, and that we would be able oh, to, you no, know. You can't, can't use that in a sentence when you're talking about Star Trek. Oh, you sorry. Know. Cling something, on? Something to cling on to. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I was I was yeah. wondering if she was going to catch that, yeah. and she did. You knew I would. Well, I you know, you Star would. Trek Voyager, Voyager was all about that. Every day, all day, was staring at stuff that wasn't there. So yeah, I had plenty of plenty of uh, advice on how yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah. All, all the all the stars and star fields and a lot of the computer displays, all inserted in post, and you were staring at nothing most of the time. Right. And uh, in this new film, we have a lot of displays that pop up off our wrist or pop up off the table or, you mm-hmm. know, all these maps, 3D maps that will be floating in free space in front of you. And, and when you're acting, it's it's really hard not to cross your eyes when you're trying to stare at a space somewhere out in front of you and pretend that right. things are going on there. So that's what I found tr- harder was the uh, the techno babble. You've, you're, you've got these, yeah, you know, Susan, Susan lines and a... lines of stuff that means nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Just say it confidently and and, and <sighs> then cock yeah, Susan, Susan with, you were in, uh, uh, Star, in Star Trek uh, Hidden Frontier, Frontier fan, and I fan was production. A, yeah, and I was, you know, I was like an engineer and I had to, you know, the engines can't stand the strain and this is why. <laughs> this means nothing. They're sending a <laughs> feedback pulse through our tractor beam. Right. I'm calculating neutrino trajectories. Yes, things but, like that. Yeah. yeah, but on the other hand, if I botch it, who you knows? You do that so well, Manu. You're, uh, he's he's you're, had to do some of that, you're too, a veteran. and it's tough. Yeah. But if I if I say neutron instead of neutrino, nobody nobody knows, nobody cares. If I say Stargate instead of Star Trek, woo, I'll never oh. hear the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, fans of the sh- fans of the Event Horizon can catch the blooper reel at a later date. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much for being on the Event Horizon with us. It's been a great show. It's been great having you with us, and we are very much looking forward to seeing your work in Star Trek: Renegades. And we hope that if this thing goes as a series, that you'll both be attached to it. 
I think that would probably be the case. <laughs> CBS is doing this this sci-fi online content now all of a sudden. Yeah, they just uh we were talking about this earlier in the hour and uh uh Then we went and did homework and came back and apparently huh. Steven Spielberg is attached to a project with Halle Berry. What was that called? Uh, it's called Extant, and it's about an uh, Halle Berry plays an astronaut who returns to Earth uh, to try to put her life back together after an extended stay in space and discovers something that could change the change the course of history for all of humanity. And what? this is CBS and, online? Is it, uh, no, this is, well, it's, yes, it's going to be a CBS uh, television broadcast, and then after that, uh, Amazon is picking up the digital distribution of it for their prime video service. Okay. And uh, so this is the second time they've done this. And the first time they did it was uh, for uh, that TV series under the dome. Was that a Spielberg thing too? Yeah. 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 I think it was anyway. So there uh, we were talking about CBS and, and them doing digital distribution and this kind of thing. And whether they'd be uh, ready from a business standpoint to do it, and the answer is obviously now they are. Yeah, they're just cool, except good. that they're actually they're not doing it. They're hiring Amazon to do it. But yeah. uh, that'll do. Yeah, but that'll do. And from the yeah, business Amazon standpoint, that's fine. That's so. If uh, uh, Star Trek Renegades goes into digital distribution, there's a very good chance that Amazon would be carrying it. So. And I'm going to slip in just a couple things because I finally pulled up my IMDb. Mm. If you guys want to see some recent projects, uh, stuff coming out. I'm in a Eric Roberts movie playing a villain in Abstraction coming out soon. Uh -huh. I actually executive produced a movie called Benjamin Troubles that will be finished with next month. That has an intriguing yeah. title. Yeah, Benjamin Troubles is about this kid that... that finds a pair of magic blue jeans that produces a hundred dollar bill on the hour every hour for the rest of his life as long as he doesn't take them off or or rip them oh. um, so can he uh, like take them off to get a bath and put them back on or no removing the jeans um but we he figures out that he can do that one leg at a time you know just no you can't have them off or they stop working but one leg at a time is technically still on. That's wow. you know, what we figured out. Um, and now I just took my MDB down. But there's a couple of things. <laughs> Those are fun. <laughs> That's funny. Well, thank you, thank you, Mono, for yeah. for uh, for bringing the, <laughs> for lightening the mood. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you. We owe you several for, for drinks at the next Star Trek convention. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you know that one. If um, we, diet Coke, diet, diet Coke. If you must drink and drive, drink Diet Coke. Drink diet Coke. That's right. I have a T-shirt that says that. If oh. you don't, you will. Yes. And Damn. thank you for having us, guys. This has been oh, fun, guys. Oh, I appreciate we've, it. We've really enjoyed it, and this has been awesome. Thank and we you are so looking much. forward to seeing Star Trek Renegades. Yeah, me too. I, yeah, it's <laughs> it's going it's going to be a hoot. If, if if the trailer's any indication, it's going to be nonstop it's ride. Going to be Star Trek, and it's Star Trek. I think the the rest of the world is really looking forward to seeing. Thank you again. You have just heard episode forty-five of the Krypton Radio original series, The Event Horizon, for January eleventh, two thousand fourteen. 
Our guests this evening have been cast members Tim Russ, Manu Interami, and Adrian Wilkinson from Star Trek Renegades. You can find out more about the show at StarTrekRenegades.com. This episode will air again on Sunday, January 12, 2014, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by renowned science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The part of the engineer was played by fandom dignitary Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Corsair's closet producer Christine Cherry, and the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents are copyright 2014 by Krypton Media Group, Incorporated. Stay tuned for more great music and tonight's episode of X-1. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>